0: interested to come across that psalm and find it again in scripture that idea that though the lord is high though he is holy he regards us we're sinners and we need him and he stoops to us and so we're thankful for that important truth as we go to his word this morning let's uh Let's pray together again and just come before the Lord. Father, we lift up our hearts before you and we say, search our hearts, Lord. We know that we are sinful people. We know that we fail. We know that we never, we never reach that uh, level of holiness where you are level of truth. And yet you stooped down, you came down. Jesus Christ came and he lived in this life perfectly so that he could be a a pure and spotless lamb, a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, that is our only glory. And that is our only hope. And that is our only reason, the only reason we can possibly look toward you and hope to enter into uh, a relationship with you because of what Jesus Christ has done. So often we wish <laughs> there was something more. We wish that we could be truly holy people. But we know it is only through Christ that we are holy, and so we thank you for that. And I just pray that you'd lead us as we worship you through the study of your word this morning, that you would just continue as you have been speaking to us through your word, that you'd help us to learn, to grow, and to honor you more. So guide us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. So we began chapter 4 of Daniel last week with an understanding that something dramatically had changed with regard to Nebuchadnezzar's understanding of God. Um, You know, to this point, we had been focused on Daniel and his friends, and of course, they had a great testimony. They had a, a relationship with God, and God was working through them. And yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing to see how as they stayed in relationship with God, despite the challenges of their surrounding, the circumstances, God continued to work through them. They lived out their relationship with God in a godless society. Now, when I say godless, I don't mean that the Babylonian culture didn't have gods. They had gods, but they didn't have a god. They had gods that served them, but they didn't serve the one true God. And that's, boy, an important s- distinction to be made. You know, we all can have gods that serve us, which makes us what? <laughs> Ultimately, God, in our own minds, anyways. But serving God, the God of the universe, is a whole different thing. And, but we would noticed the changes in the ideas of the king, uh, of that society toward God as he was confronted by the testimony of Daniel and his friends. Um, their testimony was so strong that he, he was changing in his thinking. Pro- wasn't profound changes, but it was changes. And he went from wanting to kill any and everybody to be ready to kill those who spoke against the God of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He had this, this awkward change going on in his life. And we probably see that or saw that awkward change going on in our lives as we move from worshiping ourselves, living for ourselves. We've seen it certainly in other people's lives. We go from serving ourselves to serving God. That's a, a difficult transition. We most often note it in celebrities and things like that. And I almost mentioned the, these guys last week, um, a guy named Kanye West, which maybe most of you don't know, or Justin Bieber, who we all know, and these guys are, are celebrities, guys who have been worshipped uh, for a good period of time, and then all of a sudden, they start professing Christ. I don't know if you're aware of that, but they both pr- profess to be Christians. In fact, Kanye West, who is the most off the scale, is now going around having Sunday services everywhere and leading people in worship and things like that. And I almost thought, man, watching them is kind of like watching Nebuchadnezzar make this change from, you know, this worship. I mean, Kanye West actually did say, you know, he was the new Jesus. He said, I am God. And then now he's in this awkward change where, you know, we look at his life and the things he was involved in, and he's still struggling with, involved in some of those things. But he professes to know Christ. And I was thinking, man, how much like Nebuchadnezzar. And you know, in my study this week, as I was on the internet, I wasn't looking for this, but it popped up, Kanye West, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, I got to see this. He did an opera, which was basically the reading. It was the reading of Daniel chapter 4, where he says, I am Nebuchadnezzar. And they have this whole acted out. I didn't watch the whole thing or anything. I just went and got a little taste of it. And that was good enough. So I'm, I'm not off base. I'm not accusing this guy. I mean, this guy, amazingly enough, is in agreement. You know, he had a psychological breakdown and everything. And and then comes back and he's, it seems like he's trying to get his life straightened out. Now, I don't know. Some of you guys are kind of looking glazed over. This isn't impressing you all. This guy was way off base. But, you know, so were we. It's the same sort of stuff um, that we struggle with. And so, you know, we have to, we have to understand uh, th- this is amazing. And these situations are for our learning. They're for us to, to, to learn from. And so, as this chapter 4 opened, uh, we see the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was making this awkward change to uh, believing in God, saying, You know, I believe in God. He was saying different things out of the abundance of the, the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said in Matthew 12. And he's giving glory now to the Most High God, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so we realize something happened. Something happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and we know the story, and we know what that was. And we, we saw last week in the first part of this, this chapter, he said, God has done something for me. He didn't say God just did something something to me and so in the harshness we know the harshness of the discipline that he faced it conveys a real transformation there's not just a tweaking going on oh wow this pagan king he seems like he's a little more christian now or he's open to god no this guy has been humbled and there's this real profound transformation in his thinking And so this is Nebuchadnezzar's account. We went through his description of the vision and Daniel's interpretation. And there's this thread that goes through it that was mentioned twice in the first half. It's mentioned once again this week. And this is the key. In verse 17, verse 25, we'll hit it again in this last part. It says, That all may know the Most High Rules... This is verse 17, verse 25. That all might know the most high rules, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. That's the point of this whole story. That all might know. It does say in one of those verses that says he, Nebuchadnezzar but it repeats twice, and this is the idea. It's so he will know, but it's a picture for all of us. It's something that you and I are to learn about. It's not just for the leaders. It's not just that Trudeau might know, or that Biden might know, or that Putin might know, or you know, those are our political leaders that we think, man, they should get a hold on this message, or, or those other guys kind of in the background that we don't really wonder what's going on with them. The guys like the Klaus Schwab's and the, and the Bill Gates and, and those guys who are trying to move the world and, and they think they're kings over the world. And, but it's not just for them. It's for us. This message is for us. We spoke of that idea of meta narratives, stories used to explain what's going on in the world. And we're good at telling fairy tales and fables, right? and that's supposed to explain to us what's going on in the world. We grew up as kids thinking, you know, oh, this is this makes sense because it fits in with. And you know, in some of those fairy tales and some of those fables, there's some good truths, but do they give us a full account of truth? And what's really going on? Because a lot of times the fairy tales that that are told are about Man's heroics, how he combats evil and he wins every time. It sounds to me like a superhero movie. Is that what's really going on? Is that the way it goes? Is that what's happening in this world, in your life, in my life? When it doesn't go exactly like that, we kind of distance ourselves from it and, and pretend we weren't really involved. And we, we kind of make these things up, and we, we pick and choose and we cut and paste to make a story that makes us feel better about ourselves, us look better. But God uses real-life figures for his true meta-narratives. And that's what this is with Nebuchadnezzar. It's a true story for every one of us to learn from. So I hope you'll do this with me. You'll get inside this, this, this story and go, oh, how have I seen this story apply to my life? Where can I go? Oh, yeah, I was Nebuchadnezzar. I came and was confronted by truth. You see, God's no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality, Romans 2.11 says. And if we're convinced of the lie, the lie that's been going on since the garden, that you can be like God, we will get caught and we will be corrected. Hopefully sooner than later. And this is what we're seeing in the next scene. The actual situation that applies to the kings and queens of this world. To those of us who think we're the kings and queens of this world. We can do whatever we want. Because we do, we get thinking that sometimes, don't we? Or am I the only one? You guys going, wow, this guy, look at him. Yeah, it's just me. I heard that. <laughs> we need to get into this story and we need to learn from this to the end. To the end that we might know that verse we pulled out of John 17, 3 last week, that we might know the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom He sent. That we might know the most high rules. So let's start into the story at verse 28. Pride is an illusion. And let's see what happens here in these these next few verses. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. The dream that he had, the interpretation that Daniel gave, it happened. How? Well, at the end of 12 months. 12 months after he had the vision. 12 months after he heard the interpretation. He was walking on the roof of of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? That's 12 months later. You might be thinking, it's a long time. I'm surprised it took that long. I know I can flip the switch just like that. Going from, wow, God's giving me guidance and warning and I'm under him to all of a sudden, look at what I've done. Look how great I am. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know, there it is again, until you know, until he knows, until we all know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Oh, the powerful appeal of pride for all of us as human beings. It has different forms. Some of them are more more overt. They're more open. We can say, whoa, that person is proud. Sometimes people are a little more subtle with their pride. But it's there. You know it. At least I hope you know it the Spirit convicts us, convinces us, that was pride. And we would do well to listen to him when he says that because as long as we live in this skin, as long as we have these hearts damaged by sin and are exposed to the the influence of the world around us, we will struggle with it. We will. Because of our problem, and because of this, this problem around us is just encouraging us. Be proud. Shout it out. You're a sinner. Be a bigger sinner. Be proud of your sin. Just be proud. And you know, it doesn't have to be so, so, so horrible, the sin. But the sin is being proud. Exalting ourselves above God. Nebuchadnezzar, He was king of the greatest empire. He's our our poster child for pride. We could blame him, but we could also say it's excusable. I mean, he was the king of the greatest empire there ever was in this world. But he also had incredible exposure To the power of the Almighty God. This God of the universe that could get inside your head, that could bother him with dreams, that could poke at him, that would poke at him and say, You're wrong, buddy, unsettled him. This God, this God who could oppose him, the king of the greatest empire. That could oppose what he did. That could oppose death itself, the flames of a fire. I mean, this is the the big story, the big picture that's supposed to capture all of our attention. This God is so much bigger than all of our puny power, our weak fury here he acts. Nebuchadnezzar, we're gonna throw these guys in the fire. And God says, yeah, but nothing's gonna happen. And then he comes around to the fact that he believed in Daniel's God, but that was the problem. He believed in Daniel's God. He had no relationship with God. See, there's the difference there. There's a a real difference for us to learn about. What are we believing? Are we believing in God, in somebody else's God, in the God of the Bible, which they're not bad things, or are we believing God? Are we in relationship with this God? Are we understanding he wants to personally work with us, personally bring us along? Because if you just believe in God at a distance, nothing will happen. There might be some superficial, some of those awkward changes. You're doing some of the right things. But we won't be growing in relationship with God. You see, even with the warning vision, I mean this was clear. This was a vision he had. Daniel gives the the interpretation. You're going to get cut down. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to go nuts. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to be insane. Do you think if somebody came along and told you that, you knew it was true, you think that would change everything? We do, don't we? Oh, I'd reform my life. I'd turn around, wouldn't I? For a time. If you're doing it in your own strength, it would only be for a time. It's incredible how powerful our pride is. So Daniel's pleading, stop singing, sinning, live righteously. Show mercy to others. With this warning, backed up by a God who he had concrete evidence, a God who can and will work in this world, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't change. Not just that he didn't change. There was that, that he didn't, that, you know, I mean, who wants to change? Who wants to worship anybody other than yourself? Who wants to do what somebody else wants? We want to do what we want. But also, the idea is he couldn't change on his own. There's that hidden truth in I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Well, what is that hidden truth? Without Christ strengthening me, I can do nothing. Paul says that more clearly. And, and Jesus repeats it in John 15:5. He says, Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. There's the common grace. I mean, we wouldn't be alive without Him. Then there's that grace side of things where we're saving grace, we're walking in fellowship with Him, we're doing things that really matter in the world, living in relation we can't do them. We can't produce fruit. We are dead in our sins, Ephesians 2.1 says. Dead people cannot do things, anything. There are those who are disconnected from the vine, unsaved. And then there are those of us Who return to our pride, don't we? We struggle with that. We struggle with going back toward this idea of pride and its pleasing passageways. We that's what we're used to. But when we're in pride, even though we're doing maybe good things, we're only producing wax fruit. It's no value. And so Nebuchadnezzar, you know, we we saw what he was doing. He was saying, blessed be God. We're going to pull the arms and legs off of anybody who says anything against him. Wow, that was passionate worship. Kind of misdirected. But with all his strength, he was trying to worship God, but it was just his strength. I wonder how much of our our worship. Not worship. Our works type mentality, salvation. When we live in that way, when we live according to our pride, when we live thinking it's about what we do and not about what he's doing through us, I wonder how much uh, of our workship looks like that to God. We do things in our own strength. We do them for ourselves. We end up saying things like, like, Nebuchadnezzar, is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Did you say that this week? Did I say that this week? Not in those exact words. We're not that eloquent. But we look at what we did and we think, That's all right. Look what I did. It's my ability. It's my power. It's interesting. Here Nebuchadnezzar is in Babylon. Do you recognize the relationship? That name with another name? Further back in history? Babel? Did you know that they're the exact same word in Hebrew? Babel and Babylon. Do you remember where he put up his image? He built that image that everybody was to worship. Everybody came together and bowed down. Remember the plain of Shinar. Do you know where the Tower of Babylon, or the Tower of Babel, sorry, was built? The plain of Shinar. Modern day Iraq. With all these similarities, the most notable thing is the same Satan inspired spirit in both Babel and Babylon. Remember in Babel, they said, For we will make a name for ourselves. And Nebuchadnezzar's there going, I made a name for myself. Look what I did. This is a declaration of my majesty. And the same result. Their language was changed. You think of it. The language of the people who were building the Tower of Babel, God just went, boom, changed everybody's language. Nobody gets along. Nobody can communicate. Things disintegrated. God showed, I am the one who's in control of what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar says when the words were still in his mouth, boom, all of a sudden he's struck dumb like an animal. He's wandering around like, like some... We saw some of these people. You know, here we gather them up and put them in asylums. When we were in Peru, we see these people on the street, and there would be hair just like matted and full of whatever, and they're just filthy, and they're wandering around, and you're going, oh, there's some evil spirit in there, there's something going on. And they're like animals. Nebuchadnezzar goes from, yeah, king of everything in Babylon to all of a sudden he's out living on the land like an animal. Language was changed. He lost the ability to communicate. God wants us to make the connection here. This same spirit that has been troubling mankind and mankind's relationship all the way along from, from the Garden of Eden, you will be like God. We will make a name for ourselves at the Tower of Babel. This is for my majesty here, in Nebuchadnezzar. And it goes on throughout history. He wants us to make this connection. He wants us to see the result of the statement, the result of pride, the result of this lie. Perhaps most of you have already thought of the verse in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. Pride, that sinful instinct of self-worship. Think of it that way. Pride is a sinful instinct instinct of self-worship goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall from grace. What grace? From the grace of being made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God to exalt him. There is nothing better for you and I to do than live our lives to give God glory. Lives of worship. Lives that point to truth. But pride, pride ruins that. Let's go on. Discipline is an intrusion. It's like a wall. We hit it. In verse 33, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. The dream, the vision, the interpretation of that, it happened. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, his body was wet with the dew of heaven, Till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. It's incredible that with all the apprehension, all of the buildup to, to, to this discipline that Nebuchadnezzar was going to face, the awfulness that this must have been. And the attention that we give it, you and I, as we study this, we go, wow, look at that. Look what happened to him. That in this text, that period, that indistinct period, that seven seasons of insanity where Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the greatest king, of the greatest empire, is, is like wandering in the woods, living like an animal, it's, it's reduced to one single verse, in this section that's written by Daniel. And we think, is it the mercy of God reflected in the writing of Daniel who is very merciful toward Nebuchadnezzar? He's like God's, God's instrument to show mercy. He just, well, we'll just cover this in one verse. We won't go into all the gory details. We won't, we won't follow him around in his wilderness wanderings in this, in this muck and despair that pride has brought upon him, and we won't, we won't drag out this story. So one verse. Mercy. From the God who put the iron band around the stump of the tree. The sovereign, all-knowing Father who, measure, who measures out corrective discipline to his children in the most beneficial way. Do we believe that? Do we trust him with that? That when things happen, boom, that hey, God, that's that's from you. We're not shaking our fist at somebody else, some something else, you know, whether it's another person that we come into conflict with, or whether it's it, it's, it's some situation. We're going, what's going on? We just say, okay, God, you brought me into this for a specific purpose, and you are a father, a loving father. You are a great coach, and you are doing this for my benefit, my training, because you have great plans for me. So I'll accept that you take me through this challenge This difficulty that maybe we think came arbitrarily, or maybe we understand that it was our fault. I did it to myself. Remember, I'm not saying, and the Bible doesn't tell us, that everything that goes wrong in life is a result of your sinful pride and and you need to beat yourself up over that. Jesus deals with that. It was a pharisaical teaching. If you've got a problem, you've got a personal sin that you caused yourself that problem. Remember Jesus in, in John chapter 9, he says the disciples mouthing the belief of the Pharisees and really, I think, the belief of all religious people. Something we struggle with, we see something go wrong with somebody's life, we go, hmm? We know that something bad happened to them because they're a worse sinner than I am. Things are good for me right now because I'm a good person. And Jesus said about the man who was blind, disciples say, who sinned? His parents are him. And Jesus said, no, this is for God's glory. Another passage that talks about this is in in Corinthians, where Paul's talking about that thorn in the flesh. And Paul's praying to God, God, please remove this thorn in the flesh. It's never communicated clearly what that thorn in the flesh is. All sorts of speculation about what it might be. But then in the end, God gives Paul, not relief, but an explanation. It's for my glory. It's for your benefit. So that you will not be conceited, prideful. What what was the big issue? What's the greater danger? Is it the, the suffering of the situation? Or is the greater danger... The pride that you and I can have in our lives. So on the one hand, we know, you know, it's not just across the board, something bad happens, you're a sinner, and boy, everybody else should just pile on. But we want to be open to this. You and I, in our relationship with God, when things go wrong, we we do want to be honest with God and say, hey God... is that on me did i just are you trying to teach me something do i need to just be open and grab on to hey i failed this is why i'm in this situation because i sinned you see our problems are collision between truth and a lie between our, our or because of our sin because of our sin or because of a sinful world. Sometimes we might look at ourselves and go, "Well, we're just collateral damage in this." You know, because it wasn't something that we personally did wrong that put us in this situation. We kind of go, "I'm collateral damage." But there is nothing like that with God. He's teaching us. And everything that happens to Those who love him, Romans 8.28 says, is for our good. And so he's doing it in some way for our benefit. Do you believe that? Do you find hope in that? I hope we do. I hope we do. Maybe it happened because we're not depending on God. Or maybe it's something that happened because God knows the benefit of depending on him more. So God brings us into these difficult circumstances so that we can grow deeper into him. And I tell you, if Paul still God was still ready to work with Paul at his stage, I mean, the guy wrote most of the New Testament, much of the New Testament. I don't know if I can say most of the New Testament, but a lot of it. And here, God's still working in this guy's life, saying, Here, I'm going to give you some more challenges. Paul knew it wasn't like I sinned and this, you know, got myself in this problem. But God says, You know what? I'm going to leave it with you. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you depend on me less. See, the worst thing is not the insanity of our problems. The worst thing is not the tragedy that we're facing. The worst thing that could happen to us is that we fall away from God, that we don't depend on him, that we're not in a relationship with him the way we could be. Do we believe that? And so God's willing to work with us. Maybe you're doing well, and he goes, you know what? I'm going to bring you closer. I'm going to help you grow more. Or maybe we're wandering off the track, veering in the wrong direction. Pride, conceit comes into our life and he, he puts this wall in front of us. No, he doesn't put the wall in front of us. The wall's there. The walls are there. We just need to humbly walk with him between those walls and we decide to go in another direction and we hit the wall and all of a sudden there's this problem and god makes us completely aware that we're off track first peter 5 5 says god opposes the proud that's the wall boom we run into it to the scorners he's scornful And we can all find ourselves in this situation, along with Nebuchadnezzar, where we run headlong into an unmoving wall of truth. We're left stumbling around like an animal in a bit of a stupor, going, Well, what just happened? We all have these things. And it's humbling, isn't it? We want to avoid being humbled being embarrassed. I ran into one of these walls this week. I was three days without a license this week because when you pick up a cell phone when you're driving, you get your license suspended. And God says, you know, it's not the big deal, the law, But when you start doing things thinking you don't have to worry, you know, because what I'm doing is important. The world needs me, needs to be connected with me. I need to be helping people and saving the world. Because in my meta-narrative, I'm the superhero, right? God says, no, just obey Just obey. We're left going, I didn't think I was that bad, but you feel like a criminal because you've done something wrong. And it's not one of those things that's kind of subtle that nobody notices. It's one of those things that goes, wow, okay, (laughs) I just got charged with something illegal. And you're going... Okay, I guess I am. That is me. Because there are a lot less sins that we, I, am good at sweeping under the carpet. Sins of the mind, sins of the mouth, sins of the heart. But God brings things along and says, now, here's, here's one that'll hit you that you'll notice. Humble yourself before me. I'm God. This is truth. Conform. Humility is an inclusion. Our life conforms to the reality of God's rule. Verse 34 down through the end. It says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor, it returned to me. My counselors and my lords, they sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble, So in verse 34, we slide back into a personal narrative where it's Nebuchadnezzar talking again. It was Nebuchadnezzar for the first chunk of the chapter, then we go into that section in the middle where it's written about him, and now we're back to him talking again, and we hear him talking the way he talked at the beginning. We realize this is after the event, after the insanity, after the humbling, and we go... That's what it was. Ah, that's what God used in his life to humble this guy and go, this is who you are. This is who I am. You need to be in relationship with me. And we see this this light-switched kind of change. Click. And he goes from the insanity of an animal, to living life in its highest form. This is the the highest activity of our lives. The most complex activity possible for you and me. Do you know what it is? It's not eating. It's worship. He turns to God and he starts exalting God. This is something we cannot do in our own strength, in our own power, with our own intelligence. And we're called again and again through Scripture. We're commanded to worship God. Not just in the the formal sense of coming together and singing songs and reading Scripture, but in everything we do, whether we eat or drink, Paul says, Every, in every aspect of our life, how we drive. We're to worship God. How do we do that? How can we do that? Acknowledging Him, who He is, at your work. Whatever you do as a pastime, your relationship with your neighbors, home, home life, live these things with an acknowledgement. We need to live these things with this acknowledgement that God is God and that we need to walk before him in a humble way. We can't make that change on our own. We can't do that in our own strength. We can only do that in relationship with God. The change with Nebuchadnezzar was spectacular, dramatic. But once again, we need to remember that it was done in this way. Not saying that this is what has to happen in order for you to learn. No, he did this with Nebuchadnezzar so that all might know. The people of Nebuchadnezzar's time, that great empire, they're going, our king, our king, And then our king again, worshiping God, a transformed mentality. It was for all history. The greatest king of the greatest empire went through this dramatic, spectacular change for our learning so that we might know who God is. Verse 17, verse 25, verse 32, throughout this chapter, that we might know the most high rules. And we'll continue to hit walls as humankind and as individuals in the same way that it's depicted here in the magnificent disaster of Nebuchadnezzar's life. The only thing greater than his fantastic ruin is his phenomenal restoration. And that was the grace of God. It wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar had the best psychologist, the best therapist, that, you know, they, they they put him through this stuff that restored his mind, they gave him meds that balanced the chemicals in his brain. It was no, God fixed him. He responded and humbled himself before God. God transformed his life. This real life event is a warning to us all of the Lord's unchanging truth. It's a warning, but it's also a witness of his unparalleled grace is unparalleled grace. And we would do well to learn from this great example, to adjust our course, even if we begin to veer a little bit toward this arrogance, toward this pride that is so natural for all of us. But not just for fear. Fear. Fear might be the beginning. Ooh, man, look what could happen to us. But for love. Responding to the love of our great God. Because he is the God who redeems. He's the God who, who, who takes us through this life, its challenges that, that hit us, the, the walls that come in front of us, either walls that are there Simply because there's situations in this world, the sinful world, or because of our sin. And he says, "Stop. Look up." And Nebuchadnezzar, it says, raises his eyes to heaven. His reason is returned as he recognizes God's unequal majesty in worship. He worships God. And then as he lives his life, worshiping God, his rule, his reign, is better than before. Now I wonder, was his empire the greatest empire that ever was before his insanity? Or was it after that he really established that, that gold head standard of This is the greatest empire that ever was, probably after. Because he ruled worshipfully, acknowledging the God who is in heaven. That's redemption, dramatically depicted right here in in this story for us all, for all our learning, but also. Also, the thing that can be depicted in our life from day to day, from week to week, in greater and small ways. In James four ten, you'll be surprised how many times this is repeated in Scripture. This same thought: humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. First Peter five five. It said we read before God opposes the proud. Boom, the wall's there. But then it says, God gives grace to the humble. An undeserved, compassionate, merciful response. God's willing, God's patient. What if? What if we quit exalting ourselves at all? What if we stopped even the little ways that we, we try and gain significance, the little ways that we, we talk about ourselves to others or present ourselves before others to, to try and gain significance in some way other than being a humble worshiper of a holy God? What if we let God write his story about his greatness through our little lives. The lofty are taken low, and the lowly are lifted up. Father, help us. We want to learn. We want to learn from your truth, and uh, it's a big story here not just in the sense that it was Nebuchadnezzar and the greatest empire ever, but it's a big story in terms of one that is involved in our lives from day to day all the time. It's, it's one where we can see ourselves easily as the main character and falling away from honoring you. Thank you for when you reprove and correct because the greatest issue, the biggest tragedy, Lord, is not the discipline that we run into. The greatest tragedy is when we in the first place push ourselves away from you when we think that we can live this life apart from an acknowledgement of who you are. Lord help us to allow you into all of the little spaces of our lives so that we might worship you through every part of it, so that our lives might become significant in this one way. They point others to you. They lift up your name. we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his death, because of your grace, Saved us from our sin and our sinfulness. Amen. Wow, a little bit of a uh, downer that saw me. Eh? guy who's going through some struggles.